Hey everyone, it is Wednesday, July 5th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwinunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts and reread all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. I hope everyone had a great holiday weekend. For those of you in Canada, happy belated Canada Day. Those of you in the US, happy Independence Day. It's just going to be me today, so we're going to keep this edition light and tighter in this shortened week. I'll be updating you on the headlines you may have missed this weekend and what's up in the week ahead. All right, coming up today, we have the violent unrest that broke out in France over the weekend in the aftermath of a police shooting of a teen. What's behind those riots? The suspicious powder found at the White House over the weekend has been tested and it is reportedly cocaine. What officials are saying as of this morning. And staying with the White House, President Biden has rolled out a new plan for student loan forgiveness after the big loss at the Supreme Court last week. Meanwhile, violence escalates in Israel as the military there launched an operation in a Palestinian town and there is a car ramming terror attack in Tel Aviv. A prominent North Carolina roller coaster gets shut down after a visitor to the park spots a crack with his cell phone camera while his daughter was riding the coaster. A federal judge limits the ability of the U.S. government to request social media companies take down certain posts. Speaking of social media, a major new entrant this week as the new Twitter competitor from the makers of Instagram gets rolled out. How Gen Z is changing the offerings at the grocery store and on the menu at some of the most popular food chains. And we end, as always, with On This Day in History on this July 5th. All right, let's get started in France, where the country has been experiencing violent unrest in recent days after a police officer shot and killed a teenager in a Paris suburb. Last Tuesday morning, a 17-year-old driver of French teen of Algerian descent was shot dead by a police officer during a traffic check. This took place in the northwestern Paris suburb of Nanterre. There's been an ongoing investigation into the incident. The officer has been detained on suspicion of voluntary homicide. That's the charge in France. The prosecutor says the officer did not meet the requirements to discharge his weapon and will remain in custody awaiting trial. Despite the quick investigation here by law enforcement, widespread riots broke out and the streets have erupted in France across the country following the death of Nahel. They're withholding the full name of the teen. It has led to six consecutive nights of violence. Almost every French region, 200 cities and towns, uh, reported unrest since that fatal shooting. Angry protesters have been clashing with riot police. It has led to more than 3,000 people arrested nationwide over the past week. On several nights, rioters were erecting barricades, throwing fireworks at police, ransacking hundreds of businesses and setting fire to thousands of cars and buildings across the country. It included apartment buildings, shopping malls, police stations, schools, and town halls. Things really escalated uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights. They have since calmed a bit as 40,000 plus law enforcement officers have deployed across France to try to quell the violence. Uh, Some have been using tear gas, water cannons, and other non-lethal dispersion grenades against rioters. Hundreds of law enforcement officers have been injured. It came as Nahel was laid to rest on Saturday in Nanterre. Family members did some media pushing for protesters not to engage in violence, and yet the riots continued. Many of the rioters were under the age of 18, according to law enforcement, who conducted the arrests. Lawyers for the victim's family told ABC News that they have filed complaints against the officer accused of pulling the trigger, as well as another police officer at the scene. This all comes as there have already been major tensions in uh, communities of color in France, especially the immigrant communities from West Africa, from North Africa. Immigrant communities now make up more than 10% of the French population. Those communities are underfunded. There's major wealth gaps in the country. Also, accusations of racism by law enforcement. Uh, some have called it here from the US 
the George Floyd moment in France, as the French government has also struggled for years to better integrate recent immigrants and their descendants into French society. So the French government says they're working on all of this, but the violence and the rioters were taking advantage of the situation here. Complicating all of this, measuring the scale of racism and racial inequality in France is a challenge because of what's called the official government policy of colorblindness. There are strict limits on the data that can be collected in France because of this policy of colorblindness. For critics of that policy, that guiding philosophy in France has made the state what they believe is oblivious to discrimination. France's census, by the way, has no questions about race or ethnicity. And then on top of that, you have the push in France for a very secular society, which uh, comes up against many of these immigrant communities, which come from uh, Muslim regions of Africa. Meanwhile, back here at home, a mystery at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue solved, sort of. A small amount of a white powdery substance was found at the White House on Sunday evening, and according to an initial test by emergency response workers, it was determined to be cocaine. Now, President Biden and his family were away at Camp David, the presidential resort in Maryland, when a uniformed Secret Service agent found the cocaine during a patrol of the West Wing around 6 p.m. on Sunday. It prompted a brief shutdown of some of the White House campus as response workers assessed whether this white powdery substance was hazardous. Of course, they would later find out, again, on initial tests, that this was cocaine. We have a sense as to what took place according to a website that gathers Secret Service radio communications and is available to the public. It documented a test later that Sunday evening with a member of the hazmat crew saying uh, clearly in audio, we have a yellow bar saying cocaine hydrochloride. Now, a spokesperson for the Secret Service says that the substance had been found in, quote, a work area of the West Wing. They say they're further testing the item. They're evaluating how it could have gotten there, who could have placed it there. Again, President Biden and his family were not present at the time of the discovery. They returned on Tuesday morning ahead of July 4th activities. We're going to stay on top of this one on the podcast. This mystery cocaine found in the West Wing definitely did not have this on my bingo card for 2023. All right, now time for today's speed read. We're going to begin with this from Insider. President Biden continues to fight for student loan forgiveness with a brand new backup plan. So on Friday, just ahead of the holiday weekend, some of you might be familiar with this if you're following us on Instagram, the Supreme Court struck down Biden's first big plan to cancel up to $20,000 in student debt for up to 40 million Americans. His initial plan was using a 2003 law called the HEROES Act uh, that was litigated. Several states took issue of that, that went up to the Supreme Court and they ruled on Friday that Biden overstepped his authority with the HEROES Act, which they believed would have allowed them to go through with this plan. But the court said that it wasn't specific enough and the White House needs to go back to Congress to get specific authority to do student loan forgiveness. Essentially saying that this law did not cover this action. They need to get a new law from Congress. But given that the House is controlled by Republicans, the Senate, a slim Democratic majority, and there's no chance of that, they went back to the drawing board of the White House. And just a couple hours after that ruling on Friday, Biden announced a new plan to cancel student debt using a different law. This is the Higher Education Act of 1965. Now, according to this nearly 60-year-old law, it says that the U.S. Education Department can, quote, enforce, pay, compromise, waive, or release any right, title, claim, lien, or demand. Essentially, uh, they believe that the reading of it 
allows the education department to cancel things related to federal student debt. But what's unique about this law is that it requires a process here, a rulemaking process that will include hearings and public comment. And it's going to take a while. It's a months-long process, and they still haven't determined uh, to what extent they can forgive loans for how many people and for how much. That's going to be an ongoing process here. Keep in mind, by the way, after this past Supreme Court ruling, that there could be eventual lawsuits related to the use of this law. And given the Supreme Court lately has been very restrictive in terms of what the executive can do, saying repeatedly in a number of uh, decisions recently that the White House has to go to Congress for specific authorization. They're trying to curtail executive power recently when you watch some of their decisions. Nevertheless, the White House is pursuing Plan B here, uh, pursuing this Higher Education Act route, uh, and we'll see what happens there. We'll keep monitoring it. In the meantime, borrowers are scheduled to resume payments this October. With that in mind, the White House announced what they're calling a 12-month on-ramp period following the payment resumption this fall to ensure that borrowers who miss payments, if you miss payments are in October, you will not be reported to credit agencies for up to a year. The Education Department's also finalizing a new income-driven repayment plan known as the SAVE plan, which is expected to make borrowers' monthly payments cheaper depending on your income level. So in the aftermath of their big loss at the Supreme Court, the administration here is trying to do something around the edges uh, to help uh, holders of student debt, especially given how important they are to Democratic politics going into Biden's re-election. A number of Democratic lawmakers, among them Elizabeth Warren, uh, AOC, and others, are calling for the White House to consider additional measures here to help borrowers. Meanwhile, staying with the White House here, a federal judge in Louisiana on Tuesday restricted the Biden administration and a number of agencies from communicating with major social media platforms about taking content down. This order by the judge is a major development in a fierce legal fight over the boundaries and limits of speech online. It's a victory for now for Republicans who have been accusing social media sites like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube of disproportionately taking down right-leaning content, sometimes they say in collaboration with the government. Now, Democrats say the platforms have failed to adequately police misinformation, disinformation, hateful speech, leading to dangerous outcomes, including violence. In the order, Judge Terry Doty, a Trump appointee, ruled that among others, the Department of Health and Human Services and the FBI could no longer talk to social media companies for what he says is, quote, the purpose of urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner the removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing protected free speech. Essentially, FBI, members of uh, major government agencies, you cannot talk to social media companies about taking anything down that you don't like. Now, in granting the preliminary injunction here, the judge did say that the government could still continue to notify social media platforms about posts detailing crimes, national security threats, and foreign attempts to influence elections. Now, the White House has been saying here and arguing that the government and companies have long worked together in Republican and Democratic administrations to take down illegal, harmful material from everything from violent extremism to child trafficking. But White House officials say in the aftermath of this order here that this could curtail efforts to combat false or misleading narratives about the coronavirus pandemic and other issues. Now, this is an issue we're going to be watching for a while. It comes as Texas and Florida have recently passed laws in their states barring internet platforms from taking down certain political content, and legal experts believe those cases may eventually reach the Supreme Court. We've been talking a lot about the free speech cases before the court lately, uh, and it appears here when it comes to what the government can request social media companies take down and what they can take down despite being private companies, 
is going to be litigated through the courts in the coming months and years. All right, staying with social media here from CBS News, Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, is set to release a rival to Twitter tomorrow. It's a social media app called Threads. They describe it as Instagram's text-based conversation app, essentially an app where you text your thoughts and then reply to others. Again, hence uh, Twitter copycat here. The new service is already available for pre-order in Apple's App Store ahead of the release tomorrow. It has, based on the initial leaks, a similar appearance to Twitter based on the screenshots. A preview of the app says threads will be a place, Instagram calls it, quote, where communities come together to discuss everything from the topics you care about today to what will be trending tomorrow. Sound familiar? One screenshot of the app indicates that Instagram users will be able to immediately click to follow the same accounts on threads that they follow on Instagram. It could help users quickly build large follower bases. That's their hope. You can also use the same handle you have over on Instagram on this new app, Threads, with more than 2 billion users around the world. Meta is hoping the connectivity there between Instagram and this new app will help with mass adoption. We've been expecting this for a couple months now. We just didn't know the timing of the release here. Threads arrives at a critical moment for Twitter, whose owner Elon Musk has been making a lot of changes over that social network. We've been covering it. Some of those changes, by the way, have been driving away advertisers alienating some users, some super users. And over the weekend, Musk made another controversial decision to throttle usage for non-paying members. Essentially, if you don't pay Twitter, you're now limited to reading 600 tweets a day. Now, that may sound like a lot, but to most Twitter users, including myself, uh, you can go through that in just a few minutes. That sparked some backlash from users online. At the same time, Elon Musk has touted some user growth. He has been hiring a couple key positions to try to figure out what to do with the platform now that he's owned it for a year. But he has also been very open about the revenue problem they have at Twitter. Some estimate that the platform has already lost $20 billion in value since he bought it for just over $40 billion last year. So it's almost worth half of what it was when he initially bought it. And so it appears this moment that Meta thinks it can start to pick off some users as Twitter figures out its future. Okay, heading abroad here from the Associated Press, the Israeli military began withdrawing troops from a militant stronghold in the Palestinian town of Jenin late Tuesday. It winds down an intense two-day military operation in that West Bank city in the Northern West Bank that killed at least 13 Palestinians, mainly fighters, and one Israeli soldier. Israel struck the refugee camp inside Jenin, which is known as a bastion of Palestinian militants, including uh, members of terror groups like Hamas and Islamic Jihad, supported by Iran, which is one of the reasons the Israeli government went in over the weekend. It was an operation they say was aimed at destroying and confiscating weapons. At the same time, though, civilians were impacted here as thousands of residents fled the camp to escape the back and forth fighting between the Israeli military and uh, the militants. As they start to pull out here, the Israelis said they confiscated thousands of weapons, bomb-making materials, and caches of money. Weapons were found in militant hideouts and civilian areas, including underneath a mosque. The major raid came after more than a year of a spike in violence here that's created a challenge for the Israeli government, which is dominated by more right-wingers who want to see tougher action against Palestinian militants, and a rise in the number of militant groups, including independent terror groups, uh, rising in this part of the Palestinian territories. Palestinian attacks targeting Israelis have already killed at least 25 people this year. Meanwhile, over 140 Palestinians have been killed this year in the West Bank, mainly fighters as well as some civilians. That operation in the Palestinian Tories came as Tuesday a Hamas terrorist rammed a car into a crowded Tel Aviv bus stop in Israel's biggest city. The man then got out of his car and began stabbing people, wounding eight, including a pregnant woman who reportedly lost her baby. The attacker was finally killed by an armed bystander. Hamas said the attack by the 20-year-old Palestinian man 
and in Tel Aviv was a revenge for the Israeli offensive in Janine. We took some time over the weekend to do a deep dive for you on the state of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, going back actually three millennia. It was in response to one of your questions. Uh, it's available right now as a highlight over on Mo News Premium, uh, our members-only Instagram account. You can join Mo News Premium over at mo.news slash premium. By joining Premium, you get access to our members-only podcast and members-only Instagram account for deep dives like uh, on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and other issues on a day-to-day -day basis. Meanwhile, back here at home from the Charlotte Observer, state inspectors were at a North Carolina amusement park early this week to continue investigating a roller coaster that was shut down after a visitor spotted a crack at the top of one of its steel support pillars. Jeremy Wagner is the name of that visitor. He was at the Carowinds Amusement Park in Charlotte with his kids on Friday. He ended up recording a now viral video with his phone. We posted this over on the Instagram account uh, that showed the crack in a key support pillar that he reported immediately to the park staff. Now, this involves the park's newest and tallest ride, dubbed Fury 325, was eventually shut down just hours after uh, Wagner showed that video Video to park authorities, though he said he took that video and showed it to multiple people. Finally, the fourth person at the park uh, realized that this was a problem and escalated the situation. And so you have the state inspectors uh, that are looking into this from the North Carolina Department of Labor. They have inspectors on site working to gather more information about this crack and what to do about it. Back to Wagner, he said his daughter and niece rode Fury 325 eight times on Friday. He explained that since it was an extremely hot day, he left them about 30 minutes early to turn on the air conditioning in the car while the two girls rode the roller coaster a few more times before heading out. But as he started the car, he was actually able to see that he could see the ride from the parking lot. He then starts taking video and realizes as he zooms in the cracked beam. And as you can see in the video that we posted on Instagram, every time the roller coaster zooms by that cracked beam, it widens the crack. And so then he took that video to park staff. They then immediately shut down the ride. In a statement, the Carol Winds Amusement Park said that Fury 325 was closed on Friday as they became aware of that crack in the steel support pillar. They claim in the statement that they inspect all their rides, including that coaster daily, but did not explain how that crack was missed. Now, Fury 325 is called the world's tallest and fastest giga coaster. A giga coaster is a type of roller coaster with a height or drop of at least 300 feet. Fury 325 reaches speeds of 95 mile per hour and has a height of 325 feet, hence Fury 325, the name of the ride. No timing yet as to when they will reopen this roller coaster. And finally now from the Wall Street Journal, a trend piece on how Gen Z is impacting the marketplace. As the generation born between 1997 and 2012 uh, becomes consumers here, it has changed how food and beverage companies are scrambling to attract them to their brands. The journal reports here on how 11 to 27 year olds are already changing things, what they're less willing to consume and what they enjoy more than previous generations. According to brands, they demand that their beers are lighter, their drinks are more colorful, coffees are colder, and a Taco Bell, home of items like the beefy melt burrito and the beefy five-layer burrito, poultry is coming for the red meat. Bottom line, it appears that Gen Z really loves its chicken. So among the changes you may be seeing out there, Pepsi earlier this year uh, ended Sierra Mist and uh, launched a brand called Starry, which is a similarly flavored lemon-lime soda designed to compete with Sprite, which is made by Coca-Cola. Apparently, Pepsi has tested this and says that it better speaks to Gen Z's sensibilities when it comes to lemon-lime soda. Uh, meanwhile, over at Heineken, they've been spending the past few years rolling out Heineken Silver, which is their new global brand tailored to younger consumers 
who they say want a lighter beer that is less bitter and contains fewer calories and carbs. In the condiment world, Heinz in April introduced three new spicy ketchup flavors and Heinz Hot 57 sauce. The company says it has new data uh, market research that found that 50% of all U.S. millennial and Gen Z condiment buyers regularly use spicy sauces and are actively seeking greater variety in spicy flavor options. Now over to the coffee world. For coffee companies, it is ice that is hot. Starbucks, for one, continues to invest in new cold beverages. Their data shows that Gen Z is much more into icy drinks. They're already seeing the trend lines with the uh, recent launch of the ice shaken espresso and the pink drink, which went viral on social media. And the popularity of that last drink is pushing the company to introduce a bottle version that sells in grocery stores. Uh, and it, they are looking to expand their iced menu right now. And sticking with coffee, Keurig this year introduced K-Iced, its first line of single cup brewers designed with iced coffee in mind, again, to capitalize on what they're also seeing, the popularity of ice drinks led by Gen Z. I'll link to this Wall Street Journal story uh, in the show notes if you want to read more. All right, and we'll end here with On This Day in History on this July 5th. We're going to begin in 1946. The French designer Louis Rayard introduced a minimalist two-piece swimsuit in Paris on this day in 1946. The new fashion was named Bikini. They were trying to come up with a name for this new two-piece swimsuit. They decided to go with the name Bikini. After the Bikini Atoll, that was the island group where there was a test of a nuclear bomb just four days earlier. All right, fast forward to 1971. The 26th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was certified on this day 52 years ago, it lowered the voting age to 18 years old. In the tennis world, on this day in 1975, 48 years ago, Arthur Ashe defeated the heavily favored Jimmy Connors to become the first black man to win at Wimbledon. And finally, in TV history, on this day in 1989, 34 years ago, the show Seinfeld premiered. It would first be called the Seinfeld Chronicles uh, in the summer of 89, and then just shortened to Seinfeld, would go on to become one of the most successful shows in NBC history and in TV history. All right, I want to thank all of you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Please follow us and subscribe in your podcast app. It'll ensure that you don't miss a single episode and we can continue to grow this show. Also, as I mentioned earlier, we continue to grow the Mo News Premium membership. Uh, the numbers have been incredible and we're so grateful to all of you who have joined. If you haven't joined already, check it out over at mo.news slash premium to join today. We have a monthly membership, an annual membership, a lifetime membership. It enables you to support what we're doing here at Mo News offering uh, the podcast, the newsletter, uh, and the 24-7 coverage on Instagram. It allows you to support independent journalism, but it will also allow you to access exclusive episodes, behind-the-scenes content, uh, get your questions answered about the news uh, nearly every day, uh, a members-only podcast, members-only Instagram account. Check it out. Again, mo.news slash premium. All right, everyone. I'll see you back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.